1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10. As you're turning there, I want to say it's, it's a wonderful thing to be back into this church. I love this church. I love these people. I love you folks. I love being here. I love um, being in the services that where he is exalted and, uh, and things are, are uh, uh, in, in the place that they should be. And it's a blessing. I, I enjoyed being at my home church and I was able to preach to them last week and and uh, had a good time there, and with the preacher's meeting, it was certainly encouraging and also That was great, but, oh boy, do I love being back home. I, I really, we were coming back here, and I was, kept on saying this to my wife as we were driving home. I love being here. I love being home. I love being home. I love being here. This is a, a blessing to just uh, have a great church to, to honor the Lord with and worship together with, and so, amen. First Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10, just the one verse For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Our God, and specifically the Lord Jesus Christ, He's the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Lord, thank you so much for this, your word. I pray that you'd help us to understand it, help us to to pay attention to the, what you have for us here, and Lord, I pray that you help us to be aware of uh, the, the uh, conditions of the latter times. Lord, you warned us about it, and here in this passage of Scripture, uh, especially dealing with those uh, perilous times that we'll uh, face and that we are no doubt in today, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand how to be in, this, um, in these latter times ministries that we're involved with. So, Lord, I pray that you just speak to us. Uh, give us a clarity, give, especially tonight, Lord, there's some things that are um, complex and that we're dealing with, and so, Lord, I pray that you would give me clarity and that you help us to have a, a heart to listen and to keep our mind on the, the message and to, um, to uh, learn and to, and to uh, study the Word of God and to allow you to be our teacher and our guide, and, Lord, to, to uh, take these things and help them to, to uh, help us as we uh, face the conditions around us. Lord, I pray that you just bless and bless in all that's said and done tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> We're, this is, uh, let's see, we, we started in this series back in July, and that's uh, Latter Times Ministries. We're talking about Latter Times Ministries from uh, the, the first verse, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1. Um, starts in that passage here. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly <clears throat> that in the latter times... Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And we were dealing with that and the condition that Paul tells Timothy that in the last days before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to see these things. These are the things that you better be aware of and better be, be uh, 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 ready to face. And he gives us um, encouragement and, and he tells us the truth uh, to uh, challenge the uh, lie that, lies that go out about us. And so here, um, we're, we're speaking about the last times or the last days. Now, there's no hiding our procedure here tonight. We're veering off to deal with the heresy of Calvinism in a little more attention than we would deal with with other things because this is especially prevalent and it's dangerous to healthy, vibrant, gospel-preaching churches in these latter times. Since we're dealing with the latter times and things that we're going to face. And here, Paul gives us some truth to combat 
the heresy that is out there that is damaging. Folks, uh, the, what we're going to be dealing with tonight, um, you, you know, sometimes we come in uh, to leave, to come in to get out. How much time are we here for the, hey, it's Brother, uh, Brother Glenn, good to see you tonight. I, I noticed your, your uh, uh, mom uh, playing the piano and, and writing and singing, that's good. But uh, it's always a blessing to see you and your family in church. And so I guess you had an afternoon service and you're here. Good. Well, amen. I love this guy. I love this man. He's, he's faithful. He's, he's good. And, uh, why, why are you bringing me off my message? i got to stay, stay here. So anyway, what was it? Where was I? I was, I was talking about uh, 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 we're dealing with Calvinism. Sometimes we come to church to kind of get out. You know, see how quickly we can be there and get just some kind of a bite size and go on. Sorry, it's not going to be that way tonight. Tonight, we're, we're going to get in. We're going to do some heavy lifting in Scripture to be dealing with some of the things that are out there that are, it is very damaging. I'm going to ask you to, to give me your attention. Give me your, your, uh, your full uh, uh, attention on these things, and it's, it's not going to be an easy message or simple. We're going to be dealing with some things, and especially when we're dealing with Calvinism, it kind of goes into the complex uh, uh, logic and this and that that, that we have to we have to uh, 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 counter the that uh, the truth with that, and so uh, uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be intense. Okay, um, I'm sounding the alarm <clears throat> about Calvinism, and we're going off here to deal with that because it, the the verse that we uh, are looking at, it's, it mentions some things about that that we need to be aware of, but I'm sounding the alarm of Calvinism to danger, um, uh, to, to speak about the pitfalls, the potholes in our day, to, to the, the struggles in these latter times. And I've seen uh, a resurgence, a, a, a growth, a, a, um, a plight of Calvinism to be spreading across the land and people don't really know what to do about it or, or how to combat it. Or they, they kind of think, well, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't concern me. I'm just going to stick with the Bible and that's it. Hey, listen, it's, it's dangerous. I'm telling you, it's dangerous. The things that we're, we're facing today with these particular heresies are church-crushing, church-destroying, church-killing doctrines that are not biblical they're man-made doctrines that have veered off and have, and have uh, 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 defiled the doctrine and the character of our God. The reason that we're living in a time where basic Bible truths are defiled and reprobated by this ever-growing heresy and offense to a loving, caring, and fair God with the Calvinism that's out there, uh, but receiving the warning as we venture out into the high grass here, which is what we're doing tonight... This is going to be intense, like I said, and complex and maybe frustrating, <clears throat> especially for you who want to oversimplify things and not to learn specifics of Bible doctrines. Hey, uh, this is not that kind of a service. We're going to get into it, and we're going to try to uh, dig deep. So this side road that we're looking at, 1 Timothy chapter 4, talking about latter times, this side road that we're veering off into is the subject is that Jesus is the Savior. Well, we know that. We read our text verse, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10 again, for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior. And we're talking about that Savior, the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. And so we know that Jesus is the Savior. 
And we know that salvation is in our God. But here, the Savior is identified as the Savior of all men. Especially applicable to believers who he has become their personal Lord and Savior. He's the Savior of all men, especially, or specially, the Bible says here, to those who believe. We who believe are the recipients of his redemptive work on Calvary. Amen to that. Thank the Lord. He's died on the cross, and I'm, benefit, I'm a, a recipient of the, the benefits of his blood. Thank the Lord. I can have salvation because he paid it in full on the cross. He was the propitiation for our sins, and now we can be saved. Amen to that. But this makes it abundantly clear that he not only is the Savior to the believer, especially to the believer, but he's the Savior for those who never claim him as their own. He's the Savior to everybody. And then it says, especially to them that believe. So that means he's the Savior to the infidel, regardless of application or rejection of what he did on Calvary. He's the Savior paying the penalty for the sin of the whole world. Not just believers, but especially for the believers, because we are the ones that have taken advantage of that. We're the ones that are saved because of what he's, he, he's done on the cross for the believer. But he's the Savior. You've got to understand the teaching here is very clear. He's a Savior to the whole world, to everybody, those who receive him or those who reject him. He is He's called the Savior, he's identified the Savior, and he's, and he's identified as the Savior of the entire world. And the Bible uh, uh, supports that in many scriptures. Just a few example scriptures. John chapter 1, verse number 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the elect. Is that what it says? He takes away the sin of the world. <clears throat> And that's Jesus, he's the Savior, and he takes his, his sacrifice on Calvary, his work of redemption, takes away the sin of the world, of everybody in the world. He's, he's effective for everybody, or his, his redemptive uh, uh, labor is, is uh, 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 valid for every single person in the world. And that's what the Bible identifies his, his work to be doing. He's the savior of, the, he takes away the sin of the world. John three fifteen, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that's anybody, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So he's the savior of the world. He loves the world. Whosoever, anybody that believes on him can be saved. Why? Because he's provided salvation for every single person that is a part of the world, a part of the, the, the uh, uh, creation of, that God has, has created mankind, that race of, of his beings, that he's provided salvation for that, that uh, race, that whosoever, anybody that believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loved the world. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 2, and he is the propitiation. That means the accepted payment for the, for the penalty of our sin. Uh, uh, there, was, there was justice demanded uh, by God and by, by, by uh, uh, righteousness. And so therefore, Jesus Christ, 
He offering himself, he is that, that acceptable payment the, uh, by, uh, by the creator. He's the propitiation, it says, for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's everybody. John's speaking to believers, but he says, not just us. Jesus died for, and he, that payment that he uh, paid on, on Calvary is good for everybody in the world. Thank the Lord. First John chapter 4, verse number 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father hath sent the Son to be the Savior of the elect. Savior of the church. That's not what it says. And don't violate Scripture. Don't, don't make it say what it doesn't say. I mean, God does, he's not hard up on communication. God created the ear and the mind, and he understands how to communicate. And listen, this language is very specific, and that's what God meant to say. That's what God says, and it's very clear that he's the Savior of the world. We'll see the same thing applied to verses like Galatians chapter 6, verse number 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let's, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Okay, so here, that very word, especially, is the same word, especially, that's in our text, that says, okay, you're to, you're to be like this toward everybody, but especially to the believers. So he says you're, you're to, to do good unto all men. That's believers and non-believers. Those who are in the church, those who are out of the church. But especially you're to be good or, or to, to be kind and to do good to believers. Those are the household of faith. That's the, the same, the same uh, 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 reasoning or manner of speaking there. It applies to uh, uh, verses like that. 1 Timothy 5.17. Let the elders, the, the, those are pastors or bishops or elders or overseers. There's different words for that person in that office. It says um, those pastors, it says... Uh, um, that the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So elders are to labor in the word and doctrine. Matter of fact, that's what Paul told the, the uh, uh, pastors that were gathered there at Ephesus before he left. He says, this is what you're to do. You're to preach the word, the whole counsel of God. It was their job. Uh, Peter tells pastors that they are to uh, 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 preach the word to that was their job was to feed the flock of God. And so a pastor is supposed to do that. So he is to be honored. And he, but he says, especially those who, la- who uh, they say, he says, who labor in the word and doctrine, if, if, they're, if they're good and they're doing what they're supposed to do, is worth his salt. Okay, so he says, uh, uh, honor pastors, especially. So he uses the word especially. Just as we saw in Galatians 6.10, do good to all men, especially them who are of the household of faith. The word especially in these verses, and in our text, specially, is the Greek word, and I don't know if I can pronounce this properly, malista. Um, it's the neuro, neuter plural of the superlative of an apparent primary verb. Uh, all of that is whatever, but it's, it, this, is, this is what we got to get at. Uh, it means most, or in the greatest degree, or particularly in the Bible, in our King James Bible, it's stated that it, it's a word that is, is uh, sometimes tra- translated as chiefly, or most of all, or specially, or especially. So in our text in, in, that we started with, 1 uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10, 
It says there, the last part of that verse, the Savior, he's the Savior of all men, especially, that's the same word, malista, very same word that's used in these other uh, verses. He's the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. The word means chiefly or most of all. He's the Savior of all men, but he's most of all the Savior, or chiefly the Savior. Jesus is the one providing salvation to all mankind, but especially or in full effect to those who accept him, to those who believe on him and take him to be their Savior. The truth that you can't get away from here is that Jesus came to take away the sins of every man, of every woman, of every boy, and every girl who ever lived. He's the Savior of the world. Very clearly that's stated. But he's the Savior only to those who believe or the ones who especially, especially benefit from his redemption. Those who get saved. Even though the angelic proclamation stated, Glory to God in the highest and on earth... Peace, goodwill toward men in Luke chapter 2. That's what, when Jesus came to this earth, this is the divine proclamation spoken by the angels was, hey, peace on earth. God is sending peace on earth. But it's not a blanket peace that everybody uh, 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 takes advantage of. It's, it's God sending his goodwill to men and that we have salvation provided to everybody on earth. Peace is, is there for every person on earth. But Jesus said later in in uh, 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 Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 34, he says, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth, and came not to send peace, but a sword. Now, wait a minute. The angel says, Peace on earth, but Jesus said, I didn't come to send peace. He was talking about, I'm not, I didn't come to make everybody hold hands and be unified. No, no. I came to give peace to those who, who received that peace and, and actually take advantage of it. It's only afforded those who accept or take advantage or make him their savior. Romans chapter 5, 1 that we read. Therefore being justified by faith. We, those who are justified by faith. Those who believe. Those are the persons we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let me ask you something. Did God send his peace and goodwill for every man alive? Absolutely. That's what the angel said. It's God's advance to man, his, his uh, uh, intention to man. Here's peace on earth. We have the Savior come for all men. But it's only those who believe that, are, that become justified. They are the ones that, that receive that, especially those. Okay, you can say that in the same way. So we conclude that the plain interpretation of Scripture is that the Bible teaches that Jesus is the Savior for the whole world. That's what the text says. He's the Savior of all men, everybody. He's the Savior for the whole world, everybody. Every saint, every sinner who ever lived. Romans chapter 5, 8. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for sinners, all sinners. To say anything less would be wrong, as stated in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10, our text. He's the Savior of all men, especially to those that believe. The ones that believe are the ones that, that actually receive that gift. But he's the Savior for all men. He's, he's good. His redemption is good for every man alive. He's identified as Savior, not only to saints, but to sinners too. He's the Savior of all men. It's in direct contrast to the heresy of limited atonement. That's, 
you say, preacher, what's that? Well, that's one of the, one of the, the uh, five doctrines or the five planks of Calvinism. There was a man named John Calvin. In his day, he, he uh, 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 got to promote these teachings of that we call it Calvinism today. Actually, John Calvinist wasn't a hyper-Calvinist, but those that took his doctrines and went further than he ever did. But uh, uh, Calvinism teaches, and w- what they have used in the past is the, the word tulip, like the flower tulip, T-U-L-I-P. There's one, two, three, four, five. There's five planks of Calvinism. Um, limited atonement is worded in a way that states that... Now, Jesus didn't die for everybody, everybody. No, no. He only died for those who receive him or the elect believers, just for his church. Didn't love everybody, didn't die for everybody, didn't care for everybody. No, no. It's just those who he came to save specifically. The, the atonement was limited to the church or to the, the elect. The definition of limited atonement is worded in this way. Uh, R.C. Sproul, in, he's in heaven now, by the way, and stand, uh, standing corrected, I want to say, um, he says in his website uh, that, was, that he got started or worked with called Ligonier Ministries, the website, and it's, it's stated as thus. You say, preacher, well, wait a minute, I heard these, uh, you know, these uh, uh, people or these organizations and are you actually criticizing others yeah (laughs) i don't know where you're at but listen pay attention heresy we're talking about things that are contrary to scripture contrary to what the bible teaches anyway they're in uh uh uh, ligonier ministries in his website identifying limited atonement this is what he says i preferred not to use the term limited atonement because it is misleading i'd rather speak of Definite redemption. You know, redeeming only for a certain people. Definite redemption. Well, you know, is that limited atonement? You know, that it is. But nonetheless, he says, I, I rather speak of definite redemption or definite atonement, which communicates that God the Father designed the work of redemption specifically with a view to providing salvation for the elect. That's not for everybody, but just for those who come to, to believe, the elect. He, he's uh, provided salvation for the elect and that Christ died for his sheep and laid down his life for those the Father had given to him. Okay, so you understand. It's limited. It's not the whole world. Not everybody. It's limited to his sheep. That's who he died for. That's what his atonement pays for. Not for everyone. everyone. He's not going to be, according to their view, he's not going to be spending a lot of of, uh, uh, value for something that never will be paid for, never will be taken advantage of. So his, his atonement is just provided for his sheep and laid down his life for those that the Father had given to him. He goes on to say, I don't think we want to believe in a God who sends Christ to die on the cross and then crosses his fingers, hoping that someone will take advantage of that atoning death. No, our God, our view of God is different. Our view is that the redemption of specific sinners 
was an eternal plan of God, and this plan and design was perfectly conceived and perfectly executed so that the will of God to save his people is accomplished by the atoning work of Christ. So he, he died, and, and what he did was it was for, the atonement was for that specific set of people. God was very specific. He only used certain arrows, and he said, boom, this one should be saved, and this one should be saved, and this one should, and that's who I died for. It didn't die for everybody. Not the Savior of all men, that the Bible so clearly says. No, no, limited, or what, how does he put it? Uh, definite redemption or definite atonement. Limited atonement. Um, so, regardless of what uh, Calvinist wants to call it, in this view, Christ's work of redemption is limited only to the elect. So, could we just kind of agree to, to go with the def- definition? It's, it's limited atonement. You know, however you want to call it, it's limited just for the elect or just for those. Now, tonight, we're going to limit our lesson to limited atonement. Okay, it's a limited message to limited atonement of the five points of Calvinism. We'll cover the whole tulip in this series before we continue on in our First Timothy text and our thoughts. And the reason, like I say, the reason why we're doing this is we're stopping right here, clearing off the spot, and dealing with Calvinism because it's so damaging. And it is so contrary to the nature of God, we need to be aware of it, we need to be on guard, and we need to, to emphasize the truth and who God is, and we're going to be doing that by, by exalting the, the teachings of Scripture. So tonight we're limiting our lesson to limited atonement of the, of the, 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 uh, the tulip in this series. So what's the tulip? Let's just kind of cover that real quick. Tulip, T-U-L-I-P. The T. Anybody remember what the T is? What is the T? Total depravity. Total depravity means you have nothing in you that has any good, any redeeming quality or characteristic. It's not like some people are, you know, really bad sinners and they're gone. But then they're, the believers, they have something in them and that's why they get saved. No, no, no. Everybody's totally depraved. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You have nothing in you. And you know what? We say, Amen. That is what the Bible teaches. The Bible does teach a total depravity. We don't have anything in us that brings us to God. And, and so in that sense, yeah, that's right. But the Calvinists will take the doctrine of total depravity and go a step further saying you are so far from God, you are so dead, you are dead, and you cannot respond to God's call. You cannot respond to God's offer of redemption. You're dead, and so therefore God's got to give you life so that you can be saved because you're totally depraved, and you're so totally depraved that you cannot, of your own self or of your own will, say, yes, I believe. No, you can't do that. And so even faith has to be a gift of God. So therefore, you know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's talking about grace, folks. If you take a look at it, it's in the context of God's unmerited favor, it's got nothing to do with your works, and he emphasizes that in the next verse, not of works lest any man should boast, no, we're given uh, we're saved by God's grace, faith is not the gift, but the Calvinist will say, you can't even believe, so God's got to give you faith because you're dead. You, a, a dead man can't respond. You have a dead person up here, and they're laying in a coffin. You can put a nice steak, and it's, uh, you know, with, uh, it smells really good. Say, here, eat this. He's not going uh, to take advantage of the offer. Why? Because he's dead. He can't. 
So the Calvinist says, okay, everybody's totally depraved. We agree with that. There's, there was no uh, redeeming quality in, in any of lost mankind that, that, he, that he gets saved with or that he you know, becomes a Christian because he's, some, he's got some kind of something. In, no, totally depraved. We agree with that. But the Calvinist says, you are so dead, you can't believe. You can't take uh, advantage of God's offer. There's no way you can. So when the Bible says, whosoever will... Let him come and take the water of life freely. You can't do that. Nobody can. So since nobody can, then God has to select certain people. Okay, you're an elect, and you're an elect, and you're an elect. Those are the people that, that actually are saved because that's the people that, the, uh, that God regenerates. Okay, so total depravity, that's not right. That's not what the, what the Bible teaches. Not totally because the offer is valid. God never, God never offers something that is invalid or that man cannot do. If he, if he commands you to do something, that means you can do it. There is a, a way for you to do it. There is a possibility. If you take an advantage, you can believe. And I don't understand the total of it, but I do know this, that man has a free will to take advantage of the offer of salvation, and he can believe. But we're going to see that in, in a little bit. So, T, total depravity. U, unconditional, what? Anybody? Unconditional election. That means, okay, now there are the elect. Thank God I'm saved, so that means I'm, I'm one of the elect. That means God uh, chose me to be one of the elect upon no condition at all. There are no unconditional election. I mean, that means man didn't do anything to receive salvation at all, not even believe. See, we don't believe that because the Bible says... Those who believe are saved or get saved. The offer of belief and salvation is together. But uh, unconditional election means there is no condition, not belief, not choice, not anything. Uh, if you're saved, it's unconditional. God takes all of humanity and, and just regardless of what they do, what they, they do, whether they believe, they don't believe, whatever. Unconditional and God chooses some to be saved, others not to be saved. That's, that's the doctrine of unconditional election. And like I say, we're going to be dealing with each one of these. I'm just kind of going over the, the tulip right now. Uh, the L, tonight, limited atonement. God didn't, he's not the savior of all men. No, no, he's the savior uh, only of those who believe. Which does an injustice to our passage of scripture and so many passages of scripture that we're going to be dealing with tonight. No, 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 he's the savior of all men, especially those that believe, but no, no, limited atonement says it's limited. He, he's the savior of only those who believe. He died for only those. He loves only those. His, his uh, 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 atonement is applied only to those who believe. So it's a limited atonement, which we'll continue tonight in a minute. The I, irresistible grace, means when God says, alive, you're to be alive, there's nothing you could do about it, you're coming alive. When he says, believe, that means you're going to believe. It's irresistible when the, the, the uh, conviction of the Holy Spirit uh, takes place in a person to where uh, he calls that person to salvation, then they have to believe. It's irresistible. You know what? When I was first saved, I thought that that's how it was because I felt like that's how it was when I got saved. I had to get saved. 
I mean, the conviction was so much, and it was like so heavy on my heart. I felt like, man, I just had to get saved, but I didn't. No, actually, it was my choice. I said yes. You said yes. You could have said no. You could have resisted the Holy Ghost, which others have done in the Word of God and, and are labeled as to resist the Holy Ghost. But no, this doctrine says when God says come alive, it's irresistible. You have to be saved. And because why? Because God is sovereign. This is one of those words that they use over and over again, and they overemphasize, is God sovereign means, does he control all things? Is he the the, the God who sits on the the throne of the universe and his will, uh, whatever God wants, he, he gets accomplished? Yes, that's true. God is sovereign, but we're going to, well, we won't get into that. Let's just, just state that and go on. Irresistible grace. You have to get saved when God comes along and says, I want you as an elect, nothing you can say about it. It's irresistible. You're going to get saved. The last one is uh, perseverance of the saints, meaning that somebody gets saved, lasts all their life as a believer. They don't turn back. And that's the evidence of somebody that's saved. And, you know, that's true. When a person gets saved, it shows in their life. And this is how we know that a person is, is a believer is because hereby we do know that we know him and that we keep his commandments. And so there's, there's a, a truth there, but then it goes on to the nth degree of, and so therefore, if you do not persevere unto the end, then you're not saved. That, and that has to deal with works almost. You remember I told you this morning, and we're not going to get into that tonight, but John Calvin on his deathbed He gave his own testimony in his own will with his words. He did not know he was saved. And he was pleading to God to allow him to remain because he didn't know if he was one of the elect. How do you know if you're one of the elect? If you do persevere till you die and then it's over with and okay. And then you were one. But he did not know. He did not know that he was saved. He didn't have the assurance that the Bible says, hey, he that heareth my word. Uh, and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That happened, and folks, that was past tense for me. But, you know, the, the true Calvinist, to, to go to seed on this, you don't really know, because that doctrine says you persevere unto the end. And you really don't know. And since it's not your choice, since it's got nothing to do with you, it's got to do with God's, before the foundation of the earth was laid, he chose those, he elected some. You don't know if you're the one or not one. You know, and then funny how in the, the families of Calvinists that God has actually chosen some of their children to be saved. <laughs> and, and because it's got nothing to do with them or whatever. But, you know, where the uh, preaching of the gospel takes place, there's more people there to get saved. Well, anyway, let's not even get into that. So, TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. So tonight, we're, we're dealing with just the L, the limited atonement because of our verse. It says, uh, Jesus is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Why should we be even concerned? Say, preacher, why are you concerned? Why are you dealing with this stuff? Uh, why should we be concerned about this? Why as a church should we be concerned about this? Because it defiles the heart and nature of God, and it kills a walk with God that a believer will have, or a church's outreach for God. See, because look, when it comes down to it, when you, when you take the, the, the doctrine to the nth degree, God has elected some to be saved. You know what that means? Finish the sentence. 
So he's elected some to be lost. He's made that decision, not men, not man. No, God's making that choice. He elects some to be saved, which means also in the negative, he elects some to be damned, to go to hell and burn forever and forever and forever. It's got nothing to do with their, their choice. It's not their responsibility. It's what God has elected before the foundation of the world. He created somebody to be, to burn in hell. Yikes. Yikes. And, and you know what? If, if you understand that doctrine, if you understand that's the way it is, then why go soul winning? Why be an outreach? And you know, some churches and some believers, they, they say, oh no, I believe in Calvinism, but you know, I'm, I'm still outreach because I don't know who are the elected, who are not. Ah, uh, that's baloney. The, the, the reality of it is this. If God chooses some to be saved and chooses some to be lost, it doesn't matter what you do. Those, per, those people are going to get saved. It doesn't matter what you do. There's some people never going to get saved because God has chosen, you know, beforehand. You know, and so it, all of a sudden it makes my efforts futile, useless. I remember a, a, I, was, I was teaching on Calvinism years and years and years ago when we first got started in the church. It's probably not the best thing to teach when you first get started. Maybe that's why it took so long for us to get going. But nonetheless, I'm teaching on Wednesday night. I'm dealing with Calvinism. And, and right before service, a lady calls and says, I've got one question about your church. I would like to visit your, your services. I said, well, tonight we have services in just a couple hours. And yeah, it'd be great to see you. She said, I, but I got one question. Do you believe in the articles of sovereign grace? Now, that, another way of putting it, are you a Calvinist is she, what she was saying. I said, well, no. Uh, matter of fact, ma'am, we're teaching about that tonight. We're going to be dealing with it. We're going to take the scripture, open it up, and we're going to see, just like the Bereans, whether those things were so. Hmm, no, that's right. Or no, that's not what it says. No, no, it says different or does say. And we're going to verify that. We're, we're, we're dealing with Calvinism tonight. I don't remember which point that we were on, but we were talking about that very thing. And she says, well, I just want to know, are you, do you believe that God has elected some or not? And I said, well, I do believe in the election. I'm, I'm one of the elect, and believers are, that's what the Bible does say. But I don't believe in Calvinism. I don't believe that God has uh, preordained that some are saved and some are lost. I don't believe that. She says, okay, I won't be coming. I says, ma'am, why not? I mean, how about you just give, give it a, a hearing? Let's look at what the Bible says. Give it a hearing. She says, no, no. I, she says, uh, let, let me tell you why. I used to believe like you. My husband's lost. And I felt like it was up to me to live before him and to witness to him and, and to present the gospel to him so that he would be saved. And I prayed for him for years and years. And I don't think he's going to get saved. I just don't think he's going to get saved. And you know what? Uh, that, was so, that was so heavy on me. But you know what? When I've learned the truth, about Calvinism and, you know, God just elected some to be saved and elected some to be lost. That's no more responsibility on me. And I don't have that. I don't have that heavy burden on me. Well, great. I'm so glad that you have elected, you have chosen to go that way because it's much, much easier on your psyche, you know. Is there a responsibility? Do we have a responsibility? Like this morning, do we have a responsibility to outreach? Absolutely. I'm sorry if... You don't like that. That's what God says, that it is our responsibility. 
And, and when he says, how shall they hear unless there's a preacher and someone sent, does that mean the responsibility is on us? Absolutely it does. That means if they don't go and they never hear, they don't have opportunity to be saved. And so, yes, that means the responsibility. You can't have blood on your hands if you're not that witness. It, folks, it doesn't matter whether a, a person likes that or doesn't like that or makes me feel good or not feel good. Is it the truth? That's what you got to do. Is it the truth? Are what, we, are what we dealing with? These things that, that does the Bible teach this way or does the Bible teach that way? And, and when the person accepts the doctrines that we're talking about, Calvinism, the tulip, uh, that God has elected some to be saved and elected some to be lost, you of necessity lose your fervency to outreach. This, this church will eventually close its doors and dry up and blow away. I've seen it too many times. I've seen it too many times. People get into this and the, the logic that's involved and all the, and they go into the deep things of God and they get so deep that they're, they, they, they don't even make sense anymore, which we're going to see here in just a little bit. What simple verses that teach simple things and the Calvinists can't stand it because oh, they're, they're more intelligent than that. They're more intelligent than God, but nonetheless. So we stand on the truth that Christ died for all men. Say, preacher, can you, can you prove that in the Bible? I believe so. Uh, the Lord is effective to all those who put their faith in him, to all who believe, not just to the elect, but anybody that believes. That's what the, the, the language of Scripture says. That's what God plainly says in these verses. So listen up. I don't know if you've got all of these lined up or not, but there's a billion of them. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. I, I warned them ahead of time. It says... Ton of verses and overload, just get ready. Okay, so John chapter 1, verse number 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So if you believe, then you become a believer, a, a child of God. That's what the Bible says. Not that God has elected some, it's got nothing to do with this. No, no, it's upon your belief. That's what the Bible says. As many as received him, that receive, and that those that believe are the ones that, that uh, believe in his name, and the next verse says they're born again. They're born uh, uh, in, uh, as a child of God. John 3, 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So it's those who believe are the ones who get saved, right? Yeah, and it's, and it's upon these verses, it's, upon, it's, it's hinged upon what? Belief. It's not a work. It's whether or not you choose yes or no. And it's, it's a decision that any man has. Because although God is sovereign, what you don't understand, that God has given man a sovereign will. And he's not going to get in there, and he's not going to hold your hand and say, okay, uh, uh, press this button, press this button. No, he doesn't do that. He says, here's a tree, don't eat it to show your respect for me, and it's up to you. You know what? And Man had a free will. Thank God that he's given us a free will. Thank God that, that he's given us the ability to choose. And he gives everybody the ability to, to believe or not to believe. And he says there, he that believeth on him is not condemned. That's what the Bible says. John 5, 24, verily, I quoted this a little bit ago. Uh, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. How do you get everlasting life? You believe. Not our elect. 
well, yeah, you're one of the elect. That's true. It's, it's, somebody said that uh, election is like this door over here with the exit sign. Let's say over, the, over this door, it says uh, uh, elect from the, uh, uh, it says, no, no, it says uh, uh, Jesus Christ, his, his blood will save you, will cleanse you of your sins. You walk through that, and then you look back, and the, on the other side of the door, it says elect from the foundation of the world. It's not that God makes you elect. For no, 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 no. It's if you believe that, if you go through that door, then you have. The, oh, what a wonderful! That's how. That's how great. I was in um, uh, an airport some time ago, and in this this hallway went down through where the where the uh, doors were. What do you call that? You know where where all of the tarmac. Yeah, where the gates were. In that one uh, round opening, there was like seven or eight different gates. This one, and you know how they, they have the, uh, the title above it, where it's going. This one went to San Antonio. This one went to Houston. This one went to Minneapolis. This one went to Salt Lake City. This one went to Las Vegas. This one went to Chicago. And you go in there, and you got a ticket and whatever. You, you look at the doors. Let's see, Chicago. This is what a preacher said once. He says, if you go through that door, then you're going to be destined to end, end up in Chicago. If you go through that door, you're, gonna be, you're, gonna, you're destined to end up in Salt Lake City. So it's your choice which door you want to go through, but you know what? Once you go through that door, you're ending up there. And if you go through the one that says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you get there, you're destined as the elect. If you're the one that says, no, I want no part of it, you're an unelect. And so it's upon belief. You've got to understand that. As John 5, 24 says, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. So it's upon belief. John 6, 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. So how do you never thirst? You believe on him. Okay, uh, John 6, 40, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. It's, it's not just, you know, there, there's, there is no, what is it, uh, um, the uh, uh, unconditional election. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No, no, the condition is you believe and that you're elected or you have everlasting life. That's what it says. And he that believeth on him may have everlasting life. John 6, 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Amen. What a great... That's what it says. If you put your faith in Christ, then you will never die. And you have eternal life. John 12, 46. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. John 20, 31. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing ye might have life through his name. How do you get life through his name? By believing. That's it. That's the condition. Belief. And it's very clear. Acts 10, 43. To him give all prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. How do you get remission of sins? You, be, you go through that door of belief. I believe in Christ. Elect from the foundation. of You receive remission of sins. How about that? Um, in Acts uh, 13, 39, 
and by him, all that believe are justified from all. How do you get justified? You believe. From which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. How do you, you take advantage of the offer of the gospel? You believe. That's what it says. Romans 3.26, To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth. In Je- how, do you, how do you get just? You believe in Jesus. Simple. In, in uh, Romans 10, verse number 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believe. How do you get his righteousness? You believe. Romans 10, 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shall believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, that thou shalt be saved. How do you get saved? You believe. Isn't it simple? Listen, if you've ever heard anything that's so plain and so out there and so uh, 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 manifest, it's when God's making clear to mankind, you need to believe in Christ. And if you do, you have eternal life. You're justified. You're forgiven of your sins. How do you get saved? You believe. That's what it says very clearly. It's the view of the Calvinist that if the intention of God is to save all men, now listen, this is where it starts getting quirky. They think that if it's the intention of God to save all men, and many, if not most men, don't get saved, then they say, God must have miserably failed. Did you hear that? Do you understand? And this is where they, they have a hard time here. They say, listen, God's not very effective. If he wants to save everybody, and, and just a few people ever get saved, God's a failure. But it doesn't take under consideration that God limited himself by the sovereign will that he has granted men. It's like, it's like somebody that says, okay, is God all-powerful? Yeah, he's all-powerful. Can he then make a rock so big that he can't move it? Well, how do you answer that? He could make a rock that's bigger than anybody could move. So, I mean, so big that he can't even move it? Well, yeah. Well, then he's not all-powerful, is he? <laughs> so, if, I tell you what. If God can't make a rock that big that he can't move, well, then he's not all-powerful. I mean, it doesn't matter what you say. That's, I was going to say stupid. It's, it's improper to say that. It's really, really, really not intelligent, okay? It's not... It's not but this is what they're saying. They're saying that, wait a minute, if God wants everybody to be saved and most people don't get saved, then, then he's a failure. But that doesn't take into consideration the will that God has given mankind. It was his choice to give you and give me a free will. That's one of the, one of the Baptist uh, 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 planks of our, of our beliefs, individual liberty in Christ. We're not forced to be saved. We're not forced to say yes. Nobody can force anybody else to. It's you. You had that choice for yourself. Nobody else. Now listen, friend, if you ever go to hell, that means you chose to do it. Not that God sent you. It's your choice. Because God's given you that responsibility, that choice. It's called the sovereign will of man. Because God has given you that. And he won't touch it. He stands back and he says, you choose. But there are two truths that are both there. Man has a will, and God is sovereign. It's kind of like railroad tracks. They go along. They're both there. The Calvinist ignores one and says, well, God's sovereign. Therefore, everything he has to want, he gets done. No. 
And then the Arminian says, well, no, man's will is... Now, that's a whole nother thing. We're not even going to get into that. And that's wrong, too, to say in that man's part of his own salvation. He is not. Salvation is of the Lord. But nonetheless, there is a free will of man and that there, there is the, the sovereignty of God. Both of them are true. He allows us to choose or not to choose salvation. That's why all the verses that affirm that he will save all who believe. So the question is, is God sovereign? Well, yes. Does man have a free will? Yeah. Can both of those things be true? Absolutely. But the dark side, now listen, friends. If, you, if your mind is engaged here, your brain is engaged, the dark side of a limited atonement is the companion doctrine of electing some to believe, but then also electing some to damnation. But listen, believing that, understanding, you know, holding to that, it violates the simplest of biblical truths. John 3.16, how about that one? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, is that hard to understand? He loved everybody. And he's given that responsibility to every single person that has ever lived, that has ever breathed air. You are responsible for your, your own destiny there. He loves you so much. He loved you, everybody in the world, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But to the Calvinist, Jesus didn't die for the world. He died to save the elect. He doesn't love the world. He loves only his own. Nobody can rightfully say that Jesus loves you because nobody knows whether or not you were chosen before the world was created to be one of the elect. You say, no, that's not. Oh, come on, preacher. That's not. No, no, no. That is exact. Folks, that's exactly where this takes you. Because some God never uh, elected and he does not love. He created to be destroyed. And so that's the doctrine. Let me, let me uh, read you a testimony of this preacher named uh, Pastor J.C. Stevens with his experience of Calvinism. He said this, As a young Christian, I was drawn in for a short while to many of the doctrines of Calvinism. It seemed perfectly reasonable to me that Christ would not have wasted any of his precious blood, and yet it did not at that time dawn on me that limited atonement, which is what we're talking about tonight, he didn't die for all men. He's not the savior of all men, especially of those that believe. But no, he's only the savior of those that believe. That limited atonement meant a redemption limited to only a few. But what really stopped me cold was when one of these good men rebuked me for telling a lost man that God loved him and sent his son to die for him. Is there something wrong with that? I was expressly told that it was, quote, unscriptural, to have a burden for the lost. See, Calvinist theology says that God does not love sinners in spite of what Romans chapter 5, verse number 8 says. I knew in my heart that I was not only a sinner, but an exceeding wicked sinner, and that it was, uh, and that it was the fact that in spite of this, God loved me enough to sacrifice his own and only begotten son for my redemption. My wickedness brought me to the deep conviction through the work of the Holy Spirit, but it was his love that drew me to Christ. 
I think I can honestly say at one time I was a Calvinist. It was God's real sovereign grace that opened my eyes. See, uh, the Calvinist calls grace sovereign grace because that means it's God's the one that chooses. No, no, no. It's real sovereign grace is that God loved you regardless. He loved me. Regard, he loved those who were nailing him to the cross. The Bible says that. We went over that verse. He commended, he showed, he manifested his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let me go on and, and read uh, what uh, Brother Manley, this is my home pastor. He now pastors in Pensacola. He, he commented on what this guy said. He says, while this may seem to be an isolated incident about this one preacher that was rebuked for telling a lost person that God loves him, it, it may seem to be an isolated incident. It's in fully in accord with the doctrines of the tulip, according to the Calvinist. The Calvinist who is true to his doctrine, to him, God does not love the world. As a matter of fact, record, uh, a fact of record, the, the God described by John Calvin takes pleasure at the death and eternal destruction of the sinner. This is what it says. Calvin says, We say then that Scripture clearly proves this much, that God by his eternal and immutable counsel determined once for all those whom it was his pleasure one day to admit to salvation. Well, that's good. God's going to save some, and it was his pleasure to save these people. That's what he's saying. But he goes on to say, and those whom, on the other hand, it was his pleasure to doom to destruction. Did you catch that? Hey, are you awake? An indictment to my God to be this this evil, uh, uh, vindictive God that it's his pleasure to send some to hell and to, and to know and to watch them burn throughout eternity. It's his pleasure. That's what he says. That's exactly what he says. It was his pleasure to doom to destruction. We maintain that this council, as regards the elect, is founded on his free mercy without any respect to human worth, while those whom he dooms to destruction are excluded from the access to life by a just and blameless, but at the same time, incomprehensible judgment. Oh, my goodness. That's what Calvinism says. That's what it is. I am not misrepresenting. I am not. And don't you dare accuse me of saying, well, you're just painting it up. No, 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 that's the doctrines. Folks, that is, that is not Bible. That is, that is so far from the heart of our Savior as was made manifest to, to men when he visited here on earth and his heart to the lost. So we conclude these three things and we'll be done real quick. Number one, Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. Remember our text? 1 Timothy 2, two uh, uh, no, no, 1 Timothy 4.10 for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. He's the Savior of the whole world. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, he, who will have all men to be saved. Now this is talking about our God who will have. Well, you know what it says? When it says will have, that means his will, his intention, what God wants. This is what God wants. God, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. 
hey, wait a minute. That says that it's God's will that all men get saved. Well, what about the sovereign stuff here where if he's sovereign and whatever he wants comes to pass? No, it says that God wants all men to be saved. Listen, you that are not born again here tonight, you're going to die and go to hell, but it's not going to be the pleasure of our God because he wills you. To, he wants you to be saved. He wills all men to be saved. That's your fault. That's my fault if I reject. Because God wills all men to be saved. That's what it says. That's the truth of the, of the scripture. John 1, 7. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. Everybody, all men might believe. Not just the elect. That everybody gets saved. 1 John 2, 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What a verse. I mean, what a truth. Let's stop right here, okay? Look at that verse with me. 1 John 2, 2. He is the propitiation. That means the, the, the satisfaction of the, the payment of the, 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 the condemnation against transgression is fulfilled. It's paid. It's satisfied. He's the propitiation. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. And then he says, and not for ours only. He says, believer, he's the payment for our sin. Amen. But not just for believers, not for ours only, but he's the payment for the sins of the whole world. Now, the reading of this verse must be desecrated to read something like this. He's the propitiation for our sins, that is, our, the Jews' sins. But he's not just for ours, the Jews' sins, but for the Jews of the whole world or for the Gentiles of the whole world. That's what they're saying, that this says. That doesn't say that. Or maybe this is how it's, his, it's uh, read through the glasses of the Calvinist. Oh, this is what it must really mean. He's the propitiation for ours, the elect's sins. But not for ours, the elect's only, but for the elect of the whole world. Oh, come on. Come on. You got to do gymnastics in, in, to make that say that. That does not say that. He says, hey, Jesus died and his sacrifice covered my sins and not just ours, believers, but the sins of the whole world. Not just the elect of the whole world. Come on, that's not what it says. How about this one? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What does God want there? It's very simple. You don't need a degree. You don't have to have seminary uh, 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 education to understand what he's saying here. He, God is not willing that any should perish, that anybody at all that has ever lived, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all, every single boy and, and girl, every single man, every person has ever come to accountability. He wants that person to be saved, not willing that any should perish. But that all should, now, that, if that's God's will and people reject that, well, then he's not sovereign, is he? Well, no, he's still sovereign. But it's a refrained sovereignty in that case. He's saying, no, you take this one. It's your choice. How in God's name can one violate the plain spoken truth of the word of God to make that say anything than what it says? 
that God is not willing that any should perish, but every person, that all come to repentance. But that's how it's violated. Let me read the words of R.C. Sproul in his website uh, that it says about 2 Peter 3.9. Get this. This is, what it, what, what he's, this is the, the gymnastics that has to be performed. This is what he said, quote, One of the texts that we often hear used as an objection against the idea of a definite atonement, or limited atonement, is 2 Peter 3.8. But do not overlook... Now, he's using a different Bible version, but it says basically the same thing. This is what he says. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some men count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He goes on to say, this is, he's explaining this. The immediate antecedent of the word any in this passage is the word us, and I think it's perfectly clear that Peter is saying that God is not willing that any of us believers should perish, but that all of us as believers should come to salvation. Perfectly, perfectly, perfectly clear? To whom, I want to know? Perfectly clear? Are you kidding me? He, he goes on to say, he's not speaking of all mankind indiscriminately. The us is a reference to the believing people to whom Peter is speaking. As I throw up. Uh, come on. That's, that's not. Like I said, how, how in, in God's name can anybody violate these scriptures like that is beyond me. I'm telling you, folks. You do not need a degree to understand what the Bible says when it says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. And then I said three points, only two points tonight, because it's a long message, and this is it. Hey, you lasted. I don't see anybody sleeping. Hey, hey, wake up, wake up. (laughs) I don't see anybody sleeping, so you did really good. But this is the last point. Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. It's God's will for every person to be saved. Number two, you can only have that salvation by belief. Didn't our text say that, 1 Timothy 4.10? It talks about this God who is the Savior of all men, and he says, especially, amen, especially, of those that believe. You cannot be saved unless you believe. How about that? I would say, praise God. Thank you that he's, he's, he's given me that choice. January 10th, 1974, I was a boy, a teenager that came to the place to where I said, God, I need that. I didn't know what I was asking for at the time. I, didn't, I had no clue. But that's when I believed. That's when I put my faith and trust in him. I said, Lord, what I got is not worth it. I don't want this. I want what you have. Help me. I, I'm, I don't have what, what others are having. And something's wrong with my faith. It's not working. It's not there. It's, there's nothing. There's no life. I, I need what you have. And I can't do it myself. And I came at the end of my rope. And I said, God, whatever it is. And I put my faith and my trust at that point. I put it into him. And he saved me. He saved me. 
You can only have this salvation by your choice, by your belief. He's the Savior of all men, but the ones that actually go to heaven that, that receive the benefits of that salvation, especially to those who believe.